It is written on a material that is different, and its content has no parallel. It does not resemble any of the other Qumran scrolls, or anything else, except pirates' treasure maps in Hollywood. It is an unusual phenomenon, an anomaly. In the summer of 2005, just before the publication of the Ezekiel Option, a colleague and I traveled halfway around the world to see this anomaly for ourselves at the Jordan Archaeological Museum in Amman. We had the chance to study it up close, to read its text, to compare it with other Dead Sea Scrolls, and to hear whispers of a story that has never been published, until now. There are some who believe the dazzling treasures of the Copper Scroll will be uncovered in our lifetime, perhaps very soon. What's more, some believe this anomaly of history, this unusual phenomenon, will lead us to an even greater discovery, to the most important archaeological find of all time, one that will shock the world and in the process, trigger the end of days. Are they correct? Should such whispers be listened to or dismissed as ancient legends and myths? It remains to be seen. But it is here that our story begins. Joel C. Rosenberg, Amman, Jordan, June 2005 Preface Ezekiel's war was over, but the world was still reeling. In a single day, millions of souls had perished. Entire cities had been laid waste. Even now, many lay smoldering, virtually uninhabitable. The entire geopolitical system had been upended, and an eerie hush seemed to have settled over the world. Where would the hammer fall next? Could what had happened to Moscow and Tehran and Khartoum and Damascus still happen to Washington or Chicago or Los Angeles? Some said no. They believed the worst was now behind them, that a new age of peace and prosperity was about to dawn. It was a tempting premise. Chapter 1 Saturday, January 10th, 1239 p.m., Washington, D.C. Their eyes locked for only a moment, but in that moment, FBI agent Marcus Santini knew something was terribly wrong. He had seen that face. He knew that face, but how? Santini's cab swerved violently to avoid hitting the man, who had suddenly stepped into the flow of Washington, D.C. traffic. The man's eyes flashed, with fear but not of dying. He seemed oblivious to the danger of standing in the middle of Massachusetts Avenue, busy even on a Saturday. Instead, for that brief instant, he seemed rattled only by the look of recognition in Santini's eyes. And then he bolted. The cab started moving again, but Santini couldn't take his eyes off the man as he raced toward Union Station, clad in a thick winter coat and clutching a large backpack. Santini had been trained to trust his instincts, but he had been with the Bureau's counterterrorism division for less than a year, and this was his day off. What were the chances this guy was actually on a watch list? Two blocks from the Capitol? Less than a mile from the White House? Then again, what if he was? What if something happened and he had done nothing to stop it? Santini knew he would never be able to live with himself. Stop here, he ordered the driver. But, sir, we're almost there, the man replied. Now, Santini insisted, tossing a twenty through the small opening in the plexiglass divider and jumping out the back door even as the taxi was still slowing to a stop. He had less than a minute, if that. If the man made it onto one of the trains, Santini would never find him until it was too late. Sprinting like he had in college, like he had during training at the FBI Academy in Quantico for eight lonely months away from his wife and two-year-old son, 
Santini raced for the red line. Down the escalator, through the turnstiles, onto the platform. The chimes began ringing, the doors were closing, the train was about to leave. Santini boarded the last car just in time, scanning the crowd to his left and right. The man was not there. Santini's heart was pounding and his doubts were rising. Was he overreacting? Was he in danger of winding up as a gossip item in the post? Junior agent mistakes area student for suicide bomber. The train began moving, heading west. Santini glanced at his watch. It was 12.42. He knew the station at Judiciary Square was closed on Saturdays. That meant their first stop was Gallery Place, Chinatown. From there, nearly the entire D.C. metro system was accessible. The green line to the Navy Yard, the yellow line to the Pentagon and Reagan National Airport, and only one red line stop away from FBI headquarters and the White House itself.